0: Now, welcome your host, a founding father of SEO and an accomplished search engine marketing scholar, the host of SEM Synergy, Bruce Clay.
1: Welcome to SEM Synergy. I'm your host, Bruce Clay, and this is our weekly digital marketing podcast. I'm joined by Vice President of Organic Search Operations, Dwayne Forrester, Content Manager, Virginia Nussie. Uh, SEO manager Rob Ramirez, director of training Mindy Weinstein, and social media editor Christy Kellogg. Got a whole bunch of people here ready to give you data. As we think about 2016 and how to spend our time and resources in search, we need to consider local marketing. This is going to be a big topic. Uh, We'll talk about it during today's show. And then, later, we're going to get into voice search and how it impacts SEO.
2: Well, let's get started with talking about local marketing. You know, we're already at the point where mobile usage has surpassed desktop usage, so that's old news. And we also know that many of those searches have a local intent, which means local search marketing should be on your radar for 2016, and really it should have already been there. So there was an interesting article on Search Engine Land by Adam Dorfman, and it had six trends to watch. And I'm just going to read through the list, and then we'll open up the conversation to some of our input, too, for local marketing. But the six things that he had listed, um, number one, location data will become the foundation for local marketing. Two, Google will invest more in local search. Three, apps will flex their location marketing muscle, meaning some apps are able to support advertising. Um, and direct response. Number four, beacon mania will grow, continue to grow in the first part of the year. Five, mobile wallets will explode in popularity. And six, disruptors will continue to make their way to into Google's turf. So that really leads though to more discussion questions because, you know, again, local search marketing, I, I would say everyone would agree it's important and it's something to pay attention to. But what are some other trends? that we should be adding to the list that I just referenced. What are some other trends that will come up this year, in your opinion, with local search? And on that note, some things that we should be watching for.
1: Well, I'll start it. Um, I think that local, in and of itself, is an opportunity for Google, since local is a directory within the Google sphere, this is an opportunity for Google to actually start finding how to make money by enhancing the local entries. Uh, If they were to take the local entries and start doing things like uh, call tracking, like they do with pay-per-click, except in local, they will have essentially moved pay-per-click into the organic space. And I think that's going to be a a wild opportunity for Google. Uh, So I think that anything that Google can do to make money, they're going to promote.
3: Yeah, you've been talking about local... The local search space being Google's big opportunity for monetization, and that's like a big trend that you would warn people toward. And in your predictions that are coming up this month in our newsletter, your annual predictions, you say that internet marketing will kind of transform into internet advertising.
1: Right, and that, that to a great extent, that's local. Um, if you think about the following, uh, when you're doing pay per click you can geo-target. As you geo-target, your return on investment should theoretically go up. As your return on investment goes up, your bid point goes up. So if Google, instead of having one national pay-per-click pool, built everything local, around all you know, 20,000 cities, and because all those 20,000 cities are able to geo-target, almost automatically, the bids will go up. Google will make more money for exactly the same bid audience. They're just going to be making more money individually because they're not wasting money nationally when they're, they don't know how to geotarget. Uh, so Google itself has to be sitting there realizing they can significantly improve pay-per-click revenue, and if they figure out how to monetize local results they could double their revenue. That's a big deal.
4: You see,
5: this is, this is a very interesting area, I think, especially the monetization side of it that Bruce is talking about, because this is an area where, you know, we've seen the studies before that show if somebody looks you up on their mobile device and they're within about a mile of your business and they see you there, they're much more likely to come into your local business. And I think that opens up an avenue for monetization. Um, you know, it's that moment where you know, the search engine understands that you are going to Starbucks, and perhaps they look at that and say, wait, we have an ad over here for a local chain. Maybe that bid puts the ad at the top of that experience for the mobile user, and there's an offer in there, and the person you know, doesn't go to the mainstream chain, goes off onto the small local location, and they're equidistant from each other. So, you know, I I think that there is a tremendous amount of opportunity in there. Um, It's something that uh, when we, you know, we we look at the information that's in the article, and a lot of this is not new, um, but it's nice to see that it's still being focused on. Location data will be the foundation for local marketing. The search engines pretty much have all the location data now. They typically don't want to rely on a local business to manage it because, History has proven and the systems have shown that the data ends up being either muddy or inaccurate or just flat out wrong and incorrect. And so the engines want to solve that problem on their own, uh, which is why you see a lot of street view activity going on. You see a lot of this stuff happening. That mapping program feeds a lot of the data into the local programs. Apps certainly going to be a big deal. There's no question about it, especially when you start looking at things like the ability to deep-link through an app directly into your website. You can take people and walk them almost straight to your door. You can occupy their headspace. You know, mobile wallets, yeah, mobile wallets, I I, I do believe that they will become more popular. I don't know that I'd use the word explode in popularity here. There's a pending problem that's facing America right now, and as consumers wake up to uh, hacking and data theft, as that becomes more prevalent to the average citizen, they're going to start looking at things like mobile wallets and saying, wait, hang on a second, how can you prove to me this is 100% secure? And so I think that will will slow that that explosion a little bit. Beacons will face the same problem that everything faces when it's a new technology and it's adoption, You know, and, and whether it will adopt and grow fast enough for the proponents and the people that are monetizing on it For it to actually be a viable business model for them, I'm not quite sure if we'll be there. But local, there's no question about it. Uh, Local is going to be a huge thing. I mean, we're we're at that level now with the penetration of mobile devices. Local is the next logical step for a focus by the engines.
4: And, you know, all the changes that Google's recently made organically, when you look at the seven-pack going away down to the three-pack, which is much more now... We're much more focused on your real location, obviously, is more mobile searchers search. They want things that are close enough to them to go visit personally. The ancillary effect of all of that, right, the, the secondary effect of it is that um, the opportunities to rank organically become much more scarce. And if you don't have a, an address, a physical address in the location that you're trying to rank for, the barrier there to ranking becomes pretty significant. Um, certainly in the three-pack, you're not going to rank if you don't have an address that's close to where you're trying to rank for. Now, organically, there, you still have an opportunity there, but it's becoming a lot harder to do. Um, so, of course, the, the option that the businesses have is to go to ads, paid ads. I mean, it just makes sense, right? You look at what Google's doing with uh, paid services ads, and they have a pilot program in San Francisco and a couple of other areas. Um, but that's like an entirely paid space for like locksmiths and these types of things where Google's gone through a... A pilot program and businesses themselves have to register with Google and sign uh, all kinds of agreements uh, and basically go through a vetting process to be a recommended business that Google suggests that you go ahead and do business with on a local on a local level. I mean, that's definitely where we're headed. Bruce, you talk about internet advertising. It's a prime example right there.
3: There's a, this point six. Disruptors will continue to edge their way into what has traditionally been Google's turf. I don't know if facebook counts as a disruptor maybe in this you know the paid media space a little bit more than some of the when you talked about san francisco and google's pilot program there i'm reminded of the facebook advertising their super geo local advertising that's available on facebook in san francisco right now as well where you can pick a neighborhood and, and it delivered an ad there
4: right and and you know facebook's gone this route, I mean, if you have Facebook's app installed on your phone and you go visit any location pretty much, you know, people who have been there previously, your friends and your you know, uh, you see their check-ins you see their reviews, I mean this is the type of, definitely the world where we're going, Facebook is definitely trying to leverage themselves in the local space because so many people are always on Facebook Uh, there is that demographic that's kind of uh, ripe for, for them to advertise to. Uh, They just have to be careful with how they do it, obviously, not to alienate their market. You
5: know, This is a really interesting point. And and I think one of the important things that we need to recognize is disruption can come from a lot of different uh, angles. You know, uh, Foursquare, Facebook, um, you know, checking in, all of those things. You know, those are what we might consider to be corporate disruptors. But I think the bigger disruption in this area is going to be the data collection at mobile source that is becoming incredibly prevalent almost every single app that you download now will ask you for your location information. Now I have a guitar tuning app on my my phone that requires my location information. I have no idea what they're doing with my location data. It makes sense when I go to the music store and I'm in there that, that, that they see that But that data is available, and it's being sold on the back end. And that data, I think, all of these one little apps here and there that are noticing that you're in a music store, which means that business is there at that location, at those coordinates, at that street address, and it is open for business. That data point being sold through the system, created anonymously by a random person who doesn't know they're creating it, but then powering the intelligence at Bing and at Google and being able to then tell the searcher definitively this local business exists and is open. I think that's where a lot of the disruption is going to come from, is is that kind of background data that solves for some of these bigger problems, like walking up to a store to find out that it moved six months ago and the system hasn't been updated.
4: One other thing I wanted to say, uh, I definitely think beacons are really interesting, something that I think is is. Hopefully, going to explode within the next year. It really is that barrier, though, that's there, where you have to have an app installed that recognizes beacon technology. That a lot of people are hesitant to actually engage in. It's really about somebody with the broad reach, really a big brand name that offers something so valuable that people have no choice but to turn on their beacon to actually, uh, you know, cash that ticket, whatever it is. Right. I think that'll be where the barriers, the barriers start to fall. Uh, as retailers start to offer things that are really valuable folks are going to go ahead and start to install those things and and you know to be able to advertise to someone who is physically in your general area is going to be something that's really powerful I, i don't think it's being fully taken advantage of yet but i think that is coming
3: i'm also looking closely at beacons right now there was a great seo chat on twitter last week it was about not you know what to do in SEO in 2016, but in 2017, what will be the technologies that will all be have you know taken off this year? And beacons was a, a prediction from a lot of people. Um, like you say, Rob, what apps? What what can brands do to make it so that you want to have their app on installed so that they can attach with you? And Facebook is one entry point for local businesses today because you can get a free Facebook beacon and potentially, you know, advertise to people who are near you.
6: Robert Scoble recently predicted that there would be millions of beacons by the end of this year. I'm excited to see, too, what happens. We're out of time, so we're going to take a quick break. Stay tuned. When we come back, we will take a look at voice search and how it impacts SEO. More SEM Synergy coming up.
0: Don't go away. SEM Synergy will be right back.
4: at BruceClay.com.
0: Search engine marketing formulated for Web 2.0. You're listening to SEM Synergy on webmasterradio.fm.
3: Welcome back to SEM Synergy. I'm Virginia Nessie. Before the break, we talked about local marketing and what to expect in this coming year. When I think about where our minds are going to be focusing in 2016 – voice search stands out to me as another big driver of change. We know that a lot of people are using voice search today. In 2014, there was a study commissioned by Google, um, performed by North Star Research, that found that 55% of teenagers are using voice search every day. These are coming up the millennials that we're talking about, people who are gonna be our new consumers or today's consumers. So how do we make our websites voice search friendly? There's a a little jumping off point I'll throw in here. There's a Huffington Post article by Michael Peggs. He's a former Google Googler. It's titled, How Voice Search is Changing SEO. And in this article, Peggs describes steps that you might take to optimize your website for natural language search. Uh, His steps include, one, implement long tail keywords. Um, Two, use an FAQ or uh, frequently asked questions strategy like who, what, where, why, and how questions that your customers are asking, and address those in your web pages, blogs, and social media posts. And also write content in a natural voice. Not only will your brand sound more conversational, but you'll be speaking the language used by your customers in their voice searches. So what does natural language content mean to
5: you?
6: We should already be writing at a certain level when we make content, it shouldn't be like super convoluted
5: this is a very fascinating uh, area, I think. It's going to grow. It's going to continue to grow over time. We see voice search permeating you know, mobile devices, things like your you Kinect know, and, and other devices in the home, the Amazon Echo. You know, um, these things are meant to make things easier, uh, but they're also data collection points for the search engines, obviously. Uh, that's very important in order to answer us correctly. So, you know, data collection shouldn't be seen as a negative thing, not by any stretch. Um, but voice search is, it's a very complex thing. Um, we are at the point where the systems are capable of a very an extremely high degree of accuracy in understanding us. Despite what your iPhone might try to convince you of otherwise, <laughs> these systems are... Are capable of being very, very good. So we kind of, you know, we can put it behind us that we we don't need to worry about the technology so much. Now, what we have to do is, um, you know, as marketers, we have to ask ourselves, oh, is there a shift? Do I have to change? What do I do next? And the answer to that is, you as Christy points out, you should already be doing part of this. You should be communicating with your customers in a normal manner. You shouldn't be using industry jargon. You shouldn't be using acronyms. You should be explaining things clearly and concisely so that your customer, in their voice and in their understanding, can relate to you. That has been a staple of internet marketing, at least my version of internet marketing, forever. Uh, Over the last few years, we've seen a big shift in that direction generally. Um, there's, there's three points that Michael pulls out here. And, um, the first one, I think we need to approach with some caution because when you tell an internet marketer to focus on long tail keywords, um, that has a different meaning than necessarily what the consumer is using. Um, you know, the consumer will make a statement that will appear to be long tail, But the actual value word, the the keyword that initiates the query, is buried in the middle of the statement. The rest of the statement is just window dressing for normal conversational purposes. The search engine will throw those away and focus in on the one item. It's very easy to make a long-tail keyword phrase with the word car in it. But the word car is such a broad term, it really isn't worthwhile for most businesses to focus on. Um, So I think, you know, as we think about this implement long tail keywords advice, um, we have to be very smart about interpreting what that means. Be very careful with that. Um, The FAQ strategy, I love this. This gets to the heart of something that I've been preaching for years, which is the, you know, think of every possible permutation of a question that a customer could have directly or indirectly related to your product or service and answer every one of those questions. Because it is an immediate fail when somebody has a question and you don't have the answer. They have to go somewhere else. You leave them no choice. If you have all those answers, you keep them with you. And in voice search, because these things are happening either on a countertop where the spoken word comes back to you, the the consumer of that has no understanding of what else might be related to it. They get a single answer. On your mobile device, you get more than a single answer, but... There's so little real estate. You don't get what you traditionally would see in a desktop environment. So you have to be aware of that. Point number three, write content and natural voice. Yeah, you have to do that to be relatable. It's it's very straightforward, uh, yet often overlooked.
2: What's really interesting is what you even just mentioned about your favorite strategy has also been the questions, because I think that goes beyond voice search, that We should always write that way where we're thinking about the type of questions people are asking and we're providing answers. I mean, I can think for myself just in the last couple of days, the type of searches I've done and this FAQ strategy, it applies to service oriented businesses and also e-commerce. Because for me, an example, I looked up what is dual band because I was looking for a dual band modem and I actually made a purchase because of that. So it can apply to e-commerce as well when you're able to answer someone's questions The research in the beginning, but they will buy. So I think the question strategy is fantastic, and of course, it does help with voice search too. So I'm all
5: for that one.
4: Definitely. I think we also need to be conscious of the fact that the search engines in general how evolved they are in this topic, right? Some people tend to think of these things in kind of binary terms, right? Like I'm going to do a conversational or a voice search because I want the best sushi restaurant in Pasadena, for instance. So, you know, as an SEO, you might run to your site and say, okay, we need to put uh, best restaurant, best sushi restaurant in Pasadena in our meta title, right? Uh, because that's conversational search and that's how we do it. Uh, and realize instead that actually Google is, or Google or any search engine is going to interpret that to mean what is, which one has the best reviews, right? What's the highest rated restaurant in, in the area? Uh, and is going to return those results, not necessarily one that just happens to have the exact question or phrase on the page, but instead what fulfills the intent of that query? And, and the search engines are far along enough that that is always what they're trying to return. So we need to be careful about, you know, this kind of really rudimentary uh, way of doing this uh, that leads back to this kind of keyword stuffing mentality. Um, And, and like Dwayne was saying, you know, write your content in a natural voice, answer questions in a, in a thorough and thoughtful manner uh, and, and write good content, right? Which is really what, what the search engines are going to be rewarding and what customers want to read.
1: I'm thinking that the, when I saw voice search, Uh, Hummingbird coming out, I had interpreted a lot of the voice search to actually almost be like a translation layer that the search engine or the voice processor is going to hear the question, attempt to recognize the words in the question or statement, whatever it is, um, and then translate it into something that the search engine would recognize. Now, while that seems to be pretty obvious Uh, what you're saying is that it's not just translating the words, but it's also determining an intent. And if the intent is to rate something, then that's a different intent than find pages containing these words. And I think historically search has been find things containing these words. Um, I also find my own use of voice, and I've been doing it quite a while. My phone doesn't really know who I am yet. Almost everything I search for is near me. I find near me to be one of the most powerful things I've ever done. Um, And I see that as being a natural direction for search, even on the desktop, Uh, On the desktop, uh, Google removed the ability to set a location. So everything is around you. Whether you want it to be around you or not, everything is around you. And uh, when you get in and start doing things like that on a mobile device or when you're doing voice search, uh, which I'm not really sure there's voice search much on a desktop. But if you're doing voice search, um, it's on a mobile device. The search engine knows where you're at, and you're automatically going to get an interpretation of what you're really trying to find instead of just the words.
6: So we've reached the end of our show today and we've left you with a lot to think about but before we sign off we have an important message for our India listeners tomorrow is the last day to save 18% on the SEO training coming to India February 2nd through 4th and Bruce will be there so that's a real treat for our, our India SEOs you can sign up for training at bruceclay.com slash in slash seo slash training dot htm or you can just Check out any one of our social channels and you'll find promos that will let you just click right to it. So thanks to webmasterradio.fm and thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the show to get new episodes delivered straight to you on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or your preferred podcast app. For more from the Bruce Clay team, visit bruceclay.com slash blog. See you next time on SEM Synergy.